Well, good morning. It is a joy and privilege to be here with you this morning. Over the last several weeks, we've been looking at what it looks like to be all in with our time, our talent, our treasure. And today, as already mentioned, we're going to look at what it looks like to be all in with our testimony. Psalm 89.11 says, The heavens are yours, the earth is yours, the world and all that is in it, you have founded them. And everything that we are, everything we have, is God's. At the beginning of this series, Pastor Craig shared that stewardship is managing what the Lord has given us in use for his good purposes. So what does it mean and look like to be all in to be good stewards with our testimony. That's what we will explore together this morning. I want you to think about a time when someone provided testimony to something that was so profound and so great that you were convinced that you too needed to have said thing. I've thought of several examples in my own life. For example, I am on Amazon on an all too regular basis. Any other Amazon? Uh, yep. And one of the things that I check before I purchase something is the reviews, right? Reviews are, in essence, others giving testimony about the quality and the effectiveness of that product. Reviews can be powerful and either can deter or encourage you to purchase something. Even more powerful for me is personal recommendations by someone, either positive or negative. These conversations occur naturally within our everyday lives. We are quick to tell others, to share with others when we've had a positive experience or have tried something that has proven to be something that we simply cannot live without. For example, a friend of mine encouraged me two years ago um, to try this infrared sauna in Victor. And I will just be 100% honest, if you don't know me, then you don't know this, but if you do, you've heard about it because I share about this infrared sauna all the time. It is an amazing experience. I had such a positive experience there. I go there as often as I can. I've bought people gift, certif gift certificates. I have encouraged other people to go because of my experience. Now the reality is that we all experience things differently because we're all different. But generally speaking, if we recommend something to someone, we already know and have a good idea that they'll probably enjoy it too. That comes from knowing the people in our lives. So the question I want to pose this morning is, why don't we share about Jesus as freely as the things of this world with those we encounter? Why don't we share about Jesus with the people in our lives as freely as as we share about the things of this world. Our first point today is our testimony is a form of praise and honor to Christ, not just by words, but also by our actions. In Romans 10, Paul writes this, starting in verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? This passage was written specifically for the nation of Israel. The only way unbelieving Jews can be saved is by calling on the Lord. But before they can call on him, they must believe. 
For the Jew, this meant believing that Jesus Christ of Nazareth truly is the Son of God and the Messiah of Israel. It also meant believing in his death and in his resurrection. But catch this. In order to believe, they have to hear the word. For it is the word that creates faith in the heart of the hearer. I'll be very honest with you. I am an introvert. Those of you who know me know this to be very true. Those of you who don't may be surprised or maybe you're sitting there thinking, that makes a lot of sense. Why do I mention that? I mention it because going out and telling people about Jesus goes against everything that is within me. I am a sideliner. I used to be the person that said my witness came from my actions. I want the people to see Jesus in me, mainly because I don't want to talk about him, which sounds really funny coming from someone as a pastor, right? It's not because I don't love him and the difference that he has made in my life, but it takes courage in overcoming the fear of being rejected or made fun of by those you share with. The bottom line, though, is my actions are not enough, and your actions are not enough. In telling others about Christ, an effective witness must include more than being a good example. Eventually, we will have to explain the content, the what and the how of the gospel. It is important to model the Christian life, but we also have to connect the mind of the unbeliever to the message of the gospel. We must take God's great message of salvation to others so that they can respond to the good news. How can they respond if they don't hear? So what is our testimony or what is a testimony? It's generally made up of three key elements. Those three elements are life before knowing Christ, how you came to know Christ, and life after you received Christ. With these three elements, we acknowledge our broken state, how we came to recognize our brokenness, and the restoration and freedom that comes only from Jesus. This brings me to our second point. Everyone has a testimony, but everyone's testimony is different. This is super important to understand. So many people get sidetracked by thinking that their story isn't relevant or important. That is simply not true. There are some who have a defining moment when they can tell you where they were and what they were doing when their life changed. Something happened that caused them to turn to Jesus and their life turned around in an instant. At the same time, there are others who have known Jesus their entire lives. They were raised in a Christian home. They have followed Jesus their whole lives. Or maybe like me, it's kind of a combination of both of those. I have had many conversations with people who have been raised around the faith and had a relationship with Jesus their entire lives. And I'm always amazed to see their dedication, their commitment, their selflessness, and the attributes of Christ they often demonstrate. I was just talking with one of our dedicated ministry partners here a few weeks ago who told me that her whole life, she's 90, her whole life, she has wished for a moment, a situation where she felt a defining difference in her relationship with Jesus. She, along with many others I have known, minimize the power of their testimony because they think it isn't a great story to share. 
that, my friends, is a lie. There is so much to take from people or to hear from people who have followed Jesus their entire lives. As I have shared many times, I went through our Celebrate Recovery program here many years ago. I served there for several years, and occasionally I do still attend when time allows. And a key component of Celebrate Recovery is sharing testimonies. Generally speaking, most testimonies that are shared there have a defining moment, a bottom of sorts where the choice is to continue down a very dark road or give yourselves up to Jesus and allow him to work in your heart and your life. Hearing these stories from others is powerful, for some even life-changing. As I have heard so many testimonies over the years, I have felt validated in a way that reminded me that I was not alone. I have empathized with others and I have learned so much about the love and grace of Jesus from listening to others' stories. What I want you to understand is these are very different types of testimonies, but they both have the ability to change hearts and lives for Jesus. He is powerful, gracious, loving, and life-changing in both. Whether you have known Jesus and, and chosen to follow him since your youngest years, or you have wandered away and had to be drawn back, or had a life experience that transformed your heart and your life for Jesus, he can use your story in the lives of those around you. Scripture is full of testimonies of God's redemptive and healing, but redemptive grace and healing, but perhaps one of the most powerful stories is that of Saul found in Acts. Saul is also called Paul. Saul was his Hebrew name. Paul was his Greek name that was used once he began his ministry to the Gentiles. So from here on out, I'm just going to refer to him as Paul to eliminate any confusion. In Acts, when Luke introduces him, Paul was hating and persecuting Jesus' followers. This is a great contrast to the Paul about whom Luke will write for most of the rest of the book of Acts. Paul was a devoted follower of Christ and a gifted gospel preacher. He was uniquely qualified to talk to the Jews about Jesus because he had once persecuted those who believed in Jesus, and he understood how the persecutors felt. Take a look at the screens as we hear the words of Paul's testimony. Acts 21, 37 to 22, 21. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, May I say something to you? And he said, Do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then, who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hands to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, 
as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen your witness was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. One of the things that I love about Paul's testimony is that he made himself relatable to his audience. He spoke in Aramaic, which was the Hebrew language that was referenced in the passage. This was the common language among the Palestinian Jews. He used this language not only to communicate with his listeners in their own language, but also to show that he was a devout Jew and had respect for the Jewish laws and customs. Paul spoke Greek to the Roman officials and Aramaic to the Jews. He knew his audience and he used that to his advantage. In verse 22, 3, Paul said, Being zealous for God is all of you are this day. By saying this, Paul was acknowledging their sincere motives behind their desire to kill him, recognizing that he would have done the same to Christian leaders just a few years earlier. Paul was well known for this very tactic in his ministry. He looked for a point of common contact with his audience prior to his defense and Christian testimony. This is something that we need to remember today in our desire to share. People will hear what we say when they feel understood or related to by us. When sharing our testimony, there are a few things that are important to be mindful of. It's important to be relatable, respectful, and humble in sharing. It really goes against what you're striving for if the person you're trying to share with is uninterested and unwilling to hear what you have to say. Be sure the person you're sharing with is open. Next, your testimony is not so much about you as it is about what God has done for you. 
So in sharing your testimony, the purpose should be to proclaim and acknowledge Jesus. After healing a demon-possessed man, Jesus said this to the man in Mark 5, verses 19 through 20. Come home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord, go home and tell your friends how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. And then in Matthew 10, 32, Jesus says, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. I've asked people what was holding them back from sharing their testimony. And do you know what almost all of them said? It was some, some form of this. Shame and fear of being judged. And I understand that because generally our testimonies include pieces of our lives that we aren't super proud of, things we would rather not talk about or relive. But Paul tells us this in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 9. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who called us who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose before the ages began. I know that this is easier said than done and felt. What I want you to know is that while some people may need to hear your full testimony with all of its intimate details, not everyone does or should. This is for multiple reasons. Your story isn't just yours. There are other people in your life who are an integral part of your testimony, and out of respect for them, you may not need or want to share all of the details. Secondly, not everyone has earned the right to hear every detail of your life. Not everyone has earned that right. And lastly, it's unnecessary to the purpose of a testimony, which again is to proclaim and acknowledge Jesus. You can proclaim and acknowledge the work of Jesus in your life without every single detail, just as I can tell you that I took a train from Rochester to New York City without telling you every single stop that the train made, and it's a lot. What you choose to share is between you and God, and what you choose not to share is the same. There is freedom in sharing, but you get to decide who hears it all, and who hears the cliff note version. But as Paul said, do not be ashamed of your testimony because it is just as much God's story as yours. And I would argue maybe more his than yours. In fact, it is helpful when giving a testimony to include God's word into it. Share words that have helped you to understand who God is, the message of the gospel, or scripture that has shaped who you have become. Use his alive and active word as evidence for your testimony and the hope that is in, in you because of Jesus. Often we don't realize what others in our life are going through or have gone through. When we choose to share a piece of ourselves with them, that just may be the catalyst that is necessary to promote life change for them or to propel them closer to Jesus. So our fourth point is sharing your testimony will help you heal but it also has the power to be the catalyst for healing to begin in the lives of those you share with. So if it's okay with you this morning, I would like to share a little bit of my 
testimony with you. And if that's not okay, well, that's a really big bummer because that's where we're headed. So um, I'm going to share just a sliver of my story this morning, meaning there are many details and big pieces of my life that I have left out. Because as I said, I can share with you how Jesus has changed my life and ordained my steps without giving you every personal detail. So prior to my birth, my mom experienced some complications that left her and the doctors wondering if I was going to make it. The doctor had prepared my mom for a stillbirth delivery. God had other plans. I was born very healthy. And I share this because it has been a constant reminder to me that God had me in the palm of his hand from the very beginning and that he had plans for my life. I'm the youngest of four children by six, eight, and 10 years. My parents divorced when I was very young and we lived with our mom in a single parented home. We knew our dad and had what I'd call a casual relationship with him. By that I mean he wasn't completely absent by any means but also not completely present in our growing up years. My mom worked very hard to give us everything that we needed. We never wanted for anything because she continually put our needs before her own. She took us to church. She expected respect from us and instilled in us good work habits and the importance of responsibility. All things I continue to be very grateful for today. As I said, my mom took us to a church every Sunday. In fact, I cannot remember a time in my life when church wasn't a part of it. And I shared this morning that I'm pretty sure when I got my license, the first place I was allowed to drive was to church because it was like two miles from our house. Uh, we um, were a part of a small country-ish church that had a very active congregation at that time, many kids our own age. We all went to Sunday school and youth group and I was constantly surrounded by people who loved me well and who taught me about Jesus. Growing up, I was a bit of a planner, and by that I mean I had big goals for my life, and they were very specific and lofty. I was going to graduate high school, go to Roberts Wesleyan College to become a teacher, get a teaching degree, get married, get a job, have twins, one boy and one girl, all by the time I turned 25. And uh, spoiler alert, I'm 39, single, and I'm obsessed with my cat. So I graduated high school and went to community college for two years prior to attending Roberts Wesleyan. And during those two years, I faced some pretty big giants head on. Some of those giants were of my own doing, for sure. And some were a result of others around me. And it was in those years that I first felt grief in a way that I, to this day, cannot find words to adequately describe. At one point while I was at Roberts, I started to really question if teaching was for me. I started to think that maybe going into ministry was going to be a better idea. I prayed and I prayed and then I student taught and I loved it and decided to abandon that ministry idea for many years. Remember, this is the Cliff Note version. Graduated, spent some time as a substitute teacher, and eventually I took my first job as a special education teacher in an 811 classroom for kids with behavioral needs. And I am not going to sugarcoat that job. It was rough. But I was grateful for it. I was grateful for it getting me into the school system that I also attended and getting me into teaching. But I will be honest, nothing I learned in college prepared me for the first three years. It was rough. It was during that season that I started to attend Crosswinds on Saturday nights. And when I first started to look at my relationship with Jesus in a different way. 
I kept hearing about a personal relationship with Jesus, but I didn't quite think I had that despite him being a part of my life all my growing up years. I joined a small group that was reading the book Crazy Love by Francis Chan, and that was the catalyst I needed to change. There was one particular chapter called Profile of the Lukewarm. One paragraph caught my attention. My caution to you is this. Do not assume you are good soil. I think most American churchgoers are the soil that chokes the seed because of all the thorns. Thorns are anything that distracts us from God. When we want God and a bunch of other stuff, then that means we have thorns in our soil. Our relationship with God simply cannot grow when money, sins, activities, favorite sports teams, addictions, or commitments are piled on top of it. I'm not sure if any of that was something you could relate to, but at that particular point in my life, I was relating to far too many of those thorns when I read it, and I needed to make a change. It took me a bit of time, but I eventually remembered seeing cardboard testimonies here from Celebrate Recovery, and I reached out to one of the women who was on stage that day and told her some of my struggles, which is against everything in my nature. It just happened that there happened to be a 12-step study that she was leading that was starting that very week. And I would like to say I was a willing participant, but that took me a little bit of time. Through that 12-step study, Celebrate Recovery, my second 12-step study and a third 12-step study, God began to work in my life in a way that I can only try to describe. There was a huge amount of unforgiveness in my life for myself and for others who had hurt me over the years. It was there that I learned how to truly forgive as Jesus forgives. And let me be clear that that forgiveness was not really for the people who had hurt me at all, but for myself. I was released from carrying around the heavy weight of unforgiveness and the bitterness that it brought with it, and it made all the difference in my life. Relationships with certain people in my life were completely transformed. My attitude towards those individuals and any time I spent with them was transformed. Because I mentioned my casual relationship with my dad earlier, I will say that my relationship with him was one that changed quite a bit because of my work that I did during the 12 steps. I am grateful for the relationship I have with both of my parents today. Their roles will always be different, but both are important, and I'm grateful for the work that God did in my heart to help me see and appreciate that. I'm continually able to experience joy in all kinds of forms because the 12 steps have helped me to live in the present and experience real joy. I laugh more, I smile more, and I even cry more. Again, I never would have become content with who God created me to be and where my life had taken me had it not been for working those 12 steps. I once was incredibly reliant on others for my own success, but now I recognize my need to be reliant first and foremost on Jesus, and secondly, myself, to continually make the positive changes and choices that will help me get where I need and I want to be. Several years ago, I felt God's call into ministry, and that is a whole different journey that I'd love to share sometime. But what is important to know is that I never would have heard God's call. I never would have recognized his voice or followed through with becoming a ministry student and then a local licensed pastor and ultimately an ordained pastor in the Wesleyan Church had it not been 
for Celebrate Recovery and the hard work of living out those 12 steps. God rescued, redeemed, and restored my life. And now more than ever do I want to share with others so they too might be able to find their freedom in Christ. God is still working on me. He will continue working on me, as Paul wrote in Philippians 1.6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I did not intend for this to be a blatant Celebrate Recovery plug. But the truth is, God is moving and changing lives in that ministry. And if you struggle with a hurt, habit, or hang-up, God will meet you there whenever it is that you are ready. My story isn't over. My testimony is still being built. In fact, if we have a growing relationship with Jesus, our testimony should constantly be a work in progress. Every day we are seeing God move and work in new ways, and we are called to share that. I want to share one more quote with you from the book Crazy Love. Lukewarm people rarely share their faith with their neighbors, coworkers, or friends. They do not want to be rejected, nor do they want to make people uncomfortable by talking about private issues like religion. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be lukewarm. I want to be all in. I want people to know the difference that God has made in my life. Who in your life needs to hear the testimony you have for why you choose to follow Jesus, for what he has done in your life? I encourage you to think on that this week. Reflect on how your life has changed since you first met Jesus. Then go tell someone. Maybe you're sitting here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus yet. Today could be the day that you make the most important decision of your life. Step out in faith. Accept him this morning. Ask the person sitting next to you, the person you rode with, or the person out at Info Central, the difference Jesus has made in their lives. Let them tell you. Listen with open ears and then reflect on your own journey and the difference God has made and can make for you going forward. And then go and tell others. Let's pray this morning. Jesus, I'm so thankful to be here in your presence this morning with so many other believers, Lord. Lord, we pray for those who have not yet made that decision to accept you into their heart and their life. Lord, for those who have not yet decided that they are all in with you, Lord, with their treasure, their talents, their time, and their testimony. Lord, help us all to take whatever step it is that we need to take to be all in. Lord, we are grateful for who you are, Lord, and for the difference that you have made in each and every life in this room. Lord, we ask that you continue to move, Lord, that you would give us the boldness and the courage that it takes to go out and share your good news with others, Lord, that they too may become new and different, Lord, that they would feel the freedom that comes with knowing you and calling you Savior. Lord, we love you and we praise you. Amen.